As you find your seats, if you'll turn me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 17. Maybe also turn and make a little uh, tab or throw something in 1 Samuel 8. Those are the two passages we're going to spend most of our time together. Hey, Happy New Year. I trust you all had a very Merry Christmas. It was awesome celebrating it with you. If you were out of town, you missed something really special. Uh, Christmas Eve, it was awesome. God's Spirit was here. Thank you, Body of Christ, for coming and bringing the church. How excited I am about this year. This year, big year, 2008, big year. You decide, 2008. I want to know. I want to know about my congregation. I think I know this family. Were you all watching last night, the Democratic candidates uh, debating on ABC, or were you watching the football game? Okay. <laughs> you know, you guys are so funny. I didn't expect you to give me the answer, you know. I mean, some of you are so proud. Watch the football game. Not going to watch those Democrats. Watch the football game. Not going to watch those Republicans or whoever. Well, uh, I did a little bit of both. Actually, I was praying for you. Knew how much you needed this message. This really is going to be a big year. I mean, it's amazing. Isn't it great that we live in a country that we can decide? I mean, you decide in 2008 that really we are as a people, as Americans, uh, because of the blood that was shed for us and the the rights that we have and the freedom, uh, that we can decide the issues that are important. I know the media wants to shape us towards some of the issues they think are important. But uh, bottom line, we can fight for those. Um, and as those issues emerge, we can start looking for a leader. It's amazing. I was on a website uh, this weekend that says, let us choose for you your candidate. You put in your issues, we'll tell you your candidate. <clears throat> amazing. I mean, you can even think for me, you know. I mean, maybe show up and vote for me. But the bottom line is, who are we going to choose to lead us? What criteria are we going to use? And should we as Christians engage in this? Is this important to us? What does God's word say to us as Christians when it comes to government, when it comes to world affairs? How should we respond? And really the question we're going to start delving into today, and a question that will be unfolding every week as we look at God's call for a godly king, the question is this, what criteria do we need to use to make a good choice? What are we going to look at to make a choice for the next leader? Again, as Christians, we need to look to God's word and say, God, tell us so that we can choose a man of your own choosing that you would have for us. We believe that God's word so clearly teaches, thank God, he is sovereign. He is, he, his will will be done. He's going to use us to accomplish that. But we're very, very thankful. It's interesting also, I, I, I've hit a couple of Christian websites that want to help steer our votes. And i got, I got to tell you right now, I'm usually afraid of them. Uh, I usually feel like uh, they're going to be loaded um, and uh, uh, one-sided. And, and you're saying, well, wait a minute, you're a Christian pastor. How can you feel that way? Uh, again, I want to have my agenda first and foremost to be Jesus and uh, uh, take everything through that filter. But who... We're not going to make any bracelets up with this, but who would Jesus vote for? Can you imagine that? We can start wearing those things around, you know. Hey, who would Jesus vote for in 2008? Be interesting thought. But let me ask this question. What are God's qualifications for a leader, for a king, for his own people? 
what we're going to do is we're going to look at God as he has a relationship with us. And for those that by God's grace, he's called to himself, that he calls family, that he is raised up to lead us. We're going to look at the qualifications God has for a godly leader over us. And that really should shed a lot of light onto the question we want to have answered as well as Americans, who should we choose in 2008? Let's uh, read together God's word. We're going to look in Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 14 through 20. It's going to give us a prescription uh, for a godly king. And then go look at 1 Samuel 8. Uh, In your bulletin, you will find an insert. Uh, This may help you read along with me. As a matter of fact, I think as I read this, it's a little bit lengthy. You could probably fill in the text, then you can listen after that. but again, those two scripture passages listed for you. Let's remind one another that this is God's word. He loves us enough to give us his word. Hallelujah. It's, it's alive. It's active. It's useful. Um, and as we turn to it, we're going to ask this book to come alive to us uh, through the reading and hearing of his word because of the Holy Spirit. I'll read you. Listen as I uh, read. And the word shall be on the screen behind me if you want to read along. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations or like the other nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. Very clear and very important. One from among you, from among your brothers, you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Again, we may read this and say, what does it have to do with us? Not too many of our presidents are acquiring horses, but there's more there. Let's continue the reading. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. Isn't it great to have royalty be told? Don't act like royalty. And that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Turn to Samuel chapter 8. Samuel, a judge that God has raised up, a great prophet that God has used. Uh, for this nation. Uh, His sons aren't following in his way, which says that in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. And now the people are starting to want a king. We'll see what kind of king they want. Verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like... The, all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, 
but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the kings, the king who shall reign over them. And now Samuel is going to show them what kind of king they're asking for in verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. How do you think they'd respond to that? Verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also might be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we know we live this side of the cross and We know your son, Jesus, came to be more than just the king of the Jews, but to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, came announcing his kingdom had come. And Father, we're thankful for that announcement and that reality. And yet we join our hearts in praying, let thy kingdom come more fully. Let thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, let your will be done through the preaching of your word. Father, use a broken sinner that desperately needs Jesus as Savior and King to speak truth. God, open up our ears to hear from our King. Shed light into our minds so that we understand what our King has for us and what our King has done for us. Father, soften our hearts so King Jesus would be on the throne. And God, help us take whatever's on the throne of our hearts, probably ourselves. And God put it aside so Jesus can have his rightful place. Spirit of the living God, come and empower our feet so we walk in a manner worthy of our king and his kingdom so others will want to know of this King Jesus because of the way we live our lives and the way we love our God and our king and the way we love our fellow brothers and sisters. Father, we pray for the churches in Kenya. We pray for that whole nation that Today is beseeching you, Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, 
Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, to come and bring peace to their land like only you can. Oh, Father, hear the cries of your people. And Father, come, King Jesus. You are our hope. You're our hope in Kenya. You're our hope in America. You're our hope here in our hearts. So come and speak, we pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Okay, the first thing we got to do is this, as we begin this, is there, it seems to be a little bit confusing. Because in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law, in Deuteronomy 17, as we read, God gives us a prescription for how a godly king shall act. act and what he should be like, and what he should do. And then we turn to Samuel, and we read the story of the people asking for a king, and all of a sudden they're saying, well, Sam, God says to Samuel, well, this king thing, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So we may want to ask ourselves a question, is it sinful or wrong of God's people to want a king? Well, it's kind of confusing. Why in the world does Deuteronomy ask, tell us about a king, and yet 1 Samuel 8, 7 says that they are rejecting God by asking for a king? Well, we've got to realize that a couple things. Asking for a king is not a bad idea. As a matter of fact, we've got to realize, remember, I want to tell you this over and over and over again. This story of the Bible is incredible, and it's really one story. And the story from start to finish is going to talk about our need for a godly king. And the story of the Bible is going to tell us that that godly king's name is Jesus. And every king on the earth is going to point toward him. And all of their failures and some of their strengths are all going to point to him. Yes, it's God's plan for a king, a king of his own choosing, a king after his own heart. For those of you who have taken the challenge and you're reading God's word uh, through the year, if you're up to date today, if you've read it, if you're up early loving Jesus, you've already read it. Uh, If not, go back in today's reading. Today's reading in Genesis 17, there's a promise made to Abraham. And it's a promise to Abraham that he's going to bless him. We've looked at that. We know that. But it says this, that from Abraham will come a king. And the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew starts off saying that this Jesus is son of Abraham, son of David. And we realize that this is a fulfillment, a fulfillment of that. So we know that even back in Genesis, way back 17, we turn to the end of Genesis, Genesis 49. And we find a man named Jacob there. He's blessing his 12 sons. And the one son, Judah, he blesses. And he basically says in Genesis 49, that Judah, you will be king. It's really awesome and cool because we're going to see emerge not a Benjamite like Saul to be king. We're going to see a king like David, the one from the line of Judah. And who's he going to point to? He's going to point to Jesus. So when we wrestle with the question, okay, do we want a king? Is God for a king or against a king? We can't quite tell because Samuel, if we look at just that alone, 1 Samuel 8, 7, it seems confusing that God's ticked about this whole king thing. But when we interpret Scripture rightly, when we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we see that this is God's plan for a godly king from day one. And his name is Jesus. And then we get to the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is, is, uh, is really an argument, a polemic for a godly king. It's all these cycles of judges that God raises up, and there's going to be peace for a little bit, and then they're going to fail, and then there's going to be invasions, and they can't quite get their act together. As a matter of fact, twice in the book of Judges, it's going to tell us that there was no king in, the, uh, in Israel at that time, And people were doing what was right in their own eyes. So the first point is this. 
The need for a godly king. Judges 17, 6. Judges 21, 5. They both say identically the same thing. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Amazing. This whole book of Judges really is just telling us through some incredible stories that it really is God's design for a godly king. It really is God's plan. We don't have one. We start doing what we think is right in our own eyes. How well does that work? How well is our society who says, we don't want anyone who judges us. We want to make the rules up ourselves. Let us determine what is right for me. I mean, truth is is so relative now, is it not? And really, what's good for you, that's great. Works for you, don't push it on me. This is what was happening the day of the judges. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. They were their own priests. They were their own kings. They were their own rulers. And God said, this isn't right. So therefore, I must raise up a godly king. It has always been God's plan for his people to be ruled by a godly king. Have you heard that? It has always been God's plan to have his people ruled by a godly king. Ultimately, that king's name is? Very good. King King Jesus, a king of God's own choosing. Well, as we go back to Deuteronomy, we look at this prescription God has for a godly king. It's pretty interesting. Again, this is early on. This is before there was an emergence of a king. Uh, This is Moses writing this. Moses was a kingly figure, but he wasn't really a king. But he gives us a prescription. He says this, this king, this leader over God's people, he has to be a king of the Lord's own choosing. That's the first prescription. Sinful man does not know how to choose very well. Our, our hearts, our minds, our, our ability to think has all been tainted by sin. And we don't choose very well. God in his great wisdom said to us, this leader of my people has to be one that I choose, not you. You'll choose wrongly. Yet, if you look to me, I will provide for you. So what did the Israelites do? They demanded and said, you know what? We want forget God's own choosing, forget God's own timing. If you look in 1 Samuel 8, 20 again, they're demanding it. They start off by saying to Samuel, will you pray for us for a king? Will you anoint us a king? By the time 20 comes out, they're being like tantrums. We want a king. We want a king like everybody else. Will you please give us one? That's what we want. So guess who they chose? They chose Saul. Saul was a man that was head and shoulders taller than any other man. He was, he was huge. They chose someone physically. They looked at physical attributes and said, that's who we want to represent us. That's who we want going to battle for us. They basically did this. They basically said, we want Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, who in their right mind would want Arnold Schwarzenegger to rule them? I meant it as a joke. I have nothing against Arnold. I wanted just, just a laugh, all right? So don't read into that politically, all right? I just wanted you to laugh, all right? That's it. But basically, that's what they did. They wanted Arnold. His name was Saul. They wanted someone who could pump us, the people, up, you know? They wanted someone who could take matters into his own hands. And the, they, they, wanted, they wanted somebody that brought fear to everybody else. They wanted someone to look good. They wanted someone that when they dressed him in the robes and they put him in front of a, uh, a lectern, he looked regal. He looked presidential. He looked like a king. They didn't care about his heart. That's how they choose. 
See, we got to have a king of the Lord's own choosing. And even as we go through 2008, we got to say, Lord, help us here. We're sinful. You know, we don't see clearly. Who's your man of your own choosing? Not only that, we have to have a king from within the family. It's true of our government. They wanted somebody that, that had a, a, a true, pure, pure blood. Can you imagine if we decide, you know what? We've looked at the Democrats. We've looked at the Republicans. We've looked at any independents. Let's go to Canada. You know, it's good, good folks up there. Let's see if we can get a Canadian in power. Maybe we can get somebody down here from Canada with some new ideas and, and some new ability to lead us. It's all we need is a Canadian or maybe a, a European or somebody from Australia. Can you imagine that kind of mindset? It wouldn't fly here. We're Americans. We wouldn't let anybody else but an American be uh, over us. And that's what God was saying is, hey, you want someone from in the family. Not only that, you don't want someone who will accumulate too many horses. Kind of a strange thing. But I think we can get the point here. Psalm 27 says this. Psalm 20 verse 7 says this. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. But the psalmist says, I will trust in the Lord. Really what God is saying about this king, he says that God must be his strength. If a king amasses a great amount of horses, and that was basically war horses, it would communicate that maybe he did it himself. Think of Gideon. Remember Gideon going to war? God says, you got too many people. you got too many people to fight this battle because you might think you won it. Because you might think that it's all about you. You might think that, man, look at you. But God's saying, no, I want a king that's humble. I want a king who knows who's strong. So therefore, he shouldn't, communicate, he shouldn't accumulate too many horses. Not only that, uh, I want a king that doesn't lead my people back to Egypt. Really what this is saying is this. God has to be his identity. God has to be his strength. Don't accumulate too many horses. God has to be his identity. Don't lead him back. You know, in Egypt, they, they were slaves. They, they, they didn't know who they were as God's chosen people. God wants to be uh, the king's identity and ours too. Not only that, God says this, don't accumulate too many wives because that's too many mother-in-laws. No, no. (laughs) And we see Solomon here. Solomon, uh, who supposedly, uh, Scripture tells us clearly, he was the wisest man who ever lived. And yet, he accumulated over 700 wives, completely going against what God said. And why? Because his heart was divided. You see, God says, don't accumulate too many wives because God is to be his loyalty. God is to be his loyalty, not his wives and all the things that were happening there. He said, don't accumulate too much silver and gold. And again, Solomon failed miserably here. Why? Because silver and gold could become our identity. It could become our security. And God wants to be our security. A king must, not be, uh, must know and abide by God's law. And if you're following along, uh, these are two that, I, uh, that, that missed the, uh, um, the insert. So... Fill these in. These are so important. It's a king who must know and abide by God's law. I love this. You know what this king had to do? He had to write it out. And as a teacher, a good teacher will say, sometimes it's good by hearing. You want to write it. You want to really make sure it's in your grain. Every king was to write out a copy of the law. Keep it with him daily. You know about this king? Guess what he couldn't do? He couldn't make his own laws. He couldn't say to God's law, I'm going to add a little bit here. I'm going to add a little bit there. Uh Uh-uh. You know what else this king couldn't do? He couldn't veto the laws. Could say, I don't like this one anymore. This king, a, God, a king of God's own choosing, was to know God's law and promote it and live for it. And I love the fact this king also must be humble. In verse 20, he says, it shouldn't, in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy 17, says, he shouldn't be above his brothers. 
should be one among his brothers. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus, the Son of Man, was so meek, that he did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, that he would call us brothers and sing over us? This is our King, King of kings and Lord of lords, who calls us brother, who elevates us to where he is. But here's where Israel went awry. God gave a prescription, but Israel's sinful desire was for an earthly king. You see, what they were asking for a king was not wrong. What they were asking for that was utterly wrong and sinful that led them astray was this. Here's what they said. We want to be like all the other nations. Think of the slap in the face this was to God. God says, of all the nations of the earth, I've chosen you. Not because you're more numerous, not because you're better. I just put my love on you. You're mine. I'm rescuing you. I want to make you different. I want to make you different than all the other nations. Think of the slap of the face this was to God saying, we don't want to be different. We don't want you to rule us. We don't want you to be our identity. We don't want you to be our God. We don't want you to be our king. We don't want to be known by you. We feel uncomfortable with that. I mean, all the other nations have something we don't want, that we don't have. We want to be like them. We want to be like the pagans. We want to be like the godless. We want to be like everybody else. Can you imagine saying that to God? Do we say it with our own lives? We say it with our own lives that we really don't want to be any distinction, blur the distinction in how we think and act. That's where they went awry. They said, we want to be like a, all the other nations. Orangewood, God has called us to be different. In 2008, may we be different than those who don't know Christ. May we be winsomely offensive, standing up for the truth of Christ. May we truly be that city on a hill that shines differently because the light of the Christ is shining through us. May we be the aroma of Christ. May we smell different than those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. You see, the desire was they wanted to be like everybody else. And the church and Christians fight the same battle. Unbelievably, they said this. They said, listen, we want a king that our king may judge us or rule us. How good is it when a man judges what's right and wrong? Can we remember Hitler? Can we remember leaders who will say it's okay to wipe out a certain type of people? Are you kidding me? We're going to go away from the God who is, knows all things, this loving God, and put ourselves on, in man's hands to judge us? To say this is right and wrong? Again, this is what's so beautiful about Jesus. Because Jesus is the true judge that will ultimately judge every one of us. It's going to happen. And he truly does know right and wrong. And he truly has seen all that we've done that's fallen short of God's glory. But here's this judge Jesus. You ready for this judge Jesus? He's both the just and the justifier. Listen to this Jesus. Listen, you've got to hear this. This is unbelievable. This Jesus came to earth to fulfill the law that we trampled over. He came to earth to do all that which we couldn't or didn't want to do. All that righteousness that we ignored. I mean, our righteousness is like filthy rags. This Jesus did it all. And he went to the cross and paid the price for those of us who have broken God's law, that deserve God's wrath. And he became the justifier. The just, the one who really obeyed the law, become, he became the justifier so that sinners like us can stand in God's presence. Do we want another judge other than Jesus? Do we want to be clothed by any other man, any other man leader to rule us? By God's grace, we are his people, and the just and the justifier declares us not guilty in God's presence. 
Unbelievable. There is now no more condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? The holy God of the universe will look at sinners like us, robed in Christ's righteousness, cleansed in the blood of Christ, and say, not guilty. (laughs) That's the one I want to judge me. That's the one I want to look at my life that's still filled with sin and say, but in Christ Jesus, that judge, I can stand. I can stand and hold my head up high and know not guilty, no more condemnation. And here in the arrogance of man's heart says, we want a man to judge us. We want a man to rule us. And in the arrogance of sinful man's heart right now, many will say, I'll, I'll be my judge. I'll be my judge and jury. Someday I'll be able to argue with God that I deserve his mercy. It's not going to happen. There's only one that will allow us to stand in God's presence declared not guilty. It's the just and the justifier. It's Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. Is he king of your heart? I mean, can you say, praise God, my sins have been forgiven. Yes, he is the judge of the world, but in him I am hiding and in him I am safe. They wanted a king that would go before them. Basically, they wanted a king to represent them. Can we have a better king to represent us than Jesus? They were saying, we want one that looks good. He goes out there and, you know, we're real proud of him. But this is what Jesus is doing. Listen, listen right now. Right now, Jesus is, for his people, representing us to the Father. He lives to intercede for us. He lives to represent us. And when the Father looks on us in the midst of our muck and our mire and our sinfulness, Jesus says, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. My sin has, my my righteousness has covered their sin. My blood has washed them clean. Jesus goes before us. He went before us in life and in death and resurrection and now lives and gives us that light. And listen, as he represents us to the Father, Christian, here's our job. We are to represent him to the world. That our king, they were asking for, could fight our battles. We want, we want Goliath. We want, a, we want Arnold. We want someone to go out there and, and, and really clean up. And here comes Jesus fighting and defeating our greatest enemies. The enemy is sin. The power of sin. The penalty of sin. Here comes Jesus defeating death itself. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The tomb was empty. Could we have a better warrior than Jesus? Is there one who could battle stronger, battle Satan, battle death itself and win and then share the spoils with us? This is King Jesus. How in the world could we want another warrior? Or another king. You see, the Israelites didn't have a king like the other nations, and they wanted one. They didn't have what everybody else had, and they didn't want to be unique. But you know what I think it is for us Christians? We do have a king, and his name is Jesus. For us Americans, we have a hard time with kings. We have a hard time with uh, someone who has that much authority. And somehow we feel like they shouldn't have it. And i got to tell you, I really believe that most American Western Christians live their lives that really Jesus really isn't king. We want to live our lives like we don't have one. How is it with you? Do you really want to live your life surrendering to, bowing to your whole life, thought, word, and deed, to Jesus as king? Or are you just giving him a little compartments of your life saying you can rule this, rule that, have this, but hands off here. I wasn't born yet when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I was born in 65. But I love one of his quotes. Ask not, can you hear him in his Boston accent? Ask not what your country could do for you, 
but what you can do for your country. How is it with us Christians? Oftentimes we want to ask Jesus, King Jesus, what can you do for us? It's here. I'll provide you righteousness. I'll provide you a broken body and spilt blood to cleanse sinners like us. I'll provide for you an empty tomb so that you can have life and life eternally. When we ask what Jesus can do for us, this table is a snapshot, a reminder of what he can do. But really, we got to ask, what can we do for him? What can we do for King Jesus? We live our lives, our whole life, saying, thy will be done. Thy will be done in your life, all of your life. Thy will be done. Are you asking him that? He's saying, God, come into my life. Thy will be done. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do in my business. You know what? i got to bring Jesus into the throne of my business. No matter if you're on the low rung or the top rung, is King Jesus king of your business? Is he king of your marriage? Is he king of your home? He's called us to bow all that we have before him. Who is king of your life? Are you and I trying to live our lives like all the other nations? And I want you to know, lastly, is this. Who's king of this church? And as long as I'm pastor, and long as God gives me grace and breath, Jesus Christ will be king of this pulpit. 2008 will prove to be a big year for our country. We will decide who will lead us. 2008 will be a big year for our church if we decide to follow hard after King Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your design was for a godly king and that we would mess up. We can't pick a godly king. And even one there, when there is one that seems to have your own heart, Gosh, he's, just, he's a murderer. He's an adulterer. And we need something better. God, you knew what we needed. We needed a king. We needed a savior. We needed your son. We needed rescue. We needed righteousness. We needed cleansing. We needed victory. Victory over the power of sin. Victory over the penalty of sin. Victory over death. We needed heaven to be opened up. We needed your kingdom to come. And Jesus came and provided all of that. Father, I pray that through the power of your Spirit and the reality of the risen Savior, our King Jesus, that Jesus Christ would be King of this church. That all is done and all that is said will be acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Father, I pray for my own life. Father, forgive me for areas in my life where I drive Jesus out. May Jesus Christ be King of my life. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters the same. May Jesus Christ be King. Father, we ask what Jesus has done for us. This table's an incredible reminder that he was broken so that we could be healed. Father, thank you. Will your spirit come and feed us through this meal, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As the elders come forward to prepare the table, will you take a few moments to prepare your heart, meditate on King Jesus, and be prepared to come and meet with your King.
This meal is a meal that Jesus himself gave to us as a reminder of what our King has done for us by battling his and our greatest enemy, sin and death, and accomplishing victory through his body being broken, through his blood being spilled. And he wanted to tell his family, don't forget, don't forget the victory the King won. Don't forget who you are now as you're a part of his royal family. And this great King Jesus gave us this meal so we would remember his victory. But it's more than that. He gave us this meal to feed us and to strengthen us for the battle so that we now could be his warriors living in submission to this king. And there's even more. He wants this meal to be a symbol to the world that we believe. And we've been changed and the king has conquered our hearts. If King Jesus hasn't conquered your heart yet, if you haven't surrendered to him, please don't take the meal that signifies you you have. Scripture warns us against that. This is such a sacred meal that really until our young people, the precious covenant children, have a chance to articulate their understanding with the elders of what this meal means, please let the the plate pass. But while we take this meal together, if you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus, today's the day. Now is the moment. Say, King Jesus, I've tried to be, live my life like the other nations. I want to surrender my life to you. Invite him into your heart. Today could be the day where you'll know salvation. On the very night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks to the Father, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray. Father, we ask that the spirit of your son, the spirit of King Jesus would come with power and would feed us afresh, would remind us of the victory he has obtained for his kingdom, for his glory, and for his children. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup, the spirit of the living God would strengthen us for the battle to live as we represent Christ here on earth. Thank you for this meal. Come with power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.